to hear God's word, turning in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, and we read together from Exodus chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. It's Moses, the burning bush, and in discussion, debate, argument, however we describe it, with God regarding the call to go down into Egypt. Moses answered, what if they, that's the the Israelites, do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. And the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord uh, said, if, you do, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. We were reading this morning in James chapter 5 about the, as we have it in the NIV, the perseverance The ESV has the steadfastness of Job. And of course that has become proverbial. People talk about the patience of Job. Uh, And the word, as we saw, that James uses there uh, is particularly patience with circumstances. Uh, But patience, perseverance in a wide sense. And the context there in James 5, of course, also talks about patience with people and those opposing us because of our Christian faith. So we're thinking about biblical patience. But the Word of God shows us that there's a more amazing patience than that which was exhibited by 
Job or by any merely human being. And that is the patience of the Lord. And it's interesting just in the uh, providence of God and preaching in James and also uh, in Exodus, uh, really the passages uh, in view today uh, have come together uh, in an interesting way because we've been thinking about the patience to be exhibited by God's people uh, this morning, patience in the face of opposition and hostility. And then as we come to the book of Exodus uh, this evening, the next portion we'll be looking at, Exodus chapter 4, turns us to that greater patience, the patience of the Lord. And we've often remarked, of course, that is not the popular view of the God of the Old Testament, that he's patient. Rather, uh, the caricatures of the Old Testament God uh, are that He's a God who is quick to wrath. He is a God who is impatient. And it is very, very easy uh, to offend him and bring down his wrath uh, upon us. But that isn't how God reveals himself. And uh, we will see this evening that Moses is certainly uh, an object of the patience of the Lord to really an amazing degree. As we read the record uh, here, perhaps we tend to be, suppose we were not as familiar with this passage as we are, but if we were reading it for the first time, uh, we might well be inclined to think, Moses, stop. Don't say any more. God's going to lose patience with you. And yet the Lord uh, is amazingly patient. So we're looking at Exodus 4 and the verses we read earlier, 1 to 17, And our study this evening, we're giving the title, No Excuses. No Excuses. Uh, Because that really is the heart of these verses. We look first of all at Moses' third excuse answered. It might seem strange, the first point in a sermon is a third excuse. But of course, we're continuing from the two excuses that we thought about uh, in chapter 3 last time. So Moses' third excuse answered. It's unfolding really the discussion, debate between Moses and the Lord who's spoken to him out of the burning bush. And we need to think first of Moses' excuse. What does he come up with uh, this third time? And probably Moses is recalling his earlier experience of his own people, of the Hebrews in Egypt. It had been 40 years before, uh, but Moses, no doubt rightly, thinks, well, they're not going to have changed a lot in 40 years. And so he produces his third excuse to the Lord, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And we might say it's understandable that Moses would ask that question. What if they don't believe me? Don't listen to me. But then we have to put it in context. We need to remember what the Lord has just said to Moses. Chapter 3, verse 18, the elders will listen to you. So God has said they will listen, and Moses comes back and says, but what if they don't? It's as if he doesn't really 
Trust the Lord, as if he thinks, Lord, maybe you've got it wrong. Uh, Yes, I know you've said they'll listen, but what if they don't? What if they don't want to hear uh, the message uh, that I'm bringing? God may have promised that they will listen, uh, but Moses really is challenging what God has said. Uh, He's unwilling to believe God's word. He's not taking God at his word. The Lord says they will believe, and Moses said, what if they don't? He is clearly questioning uh, what the Lord uh, has said to him. He's putting his own doubts and his own fears and concerns ahead of God's promise. He's already got the promise, but he's saying, really, but, but what if? What if the promise isn't kept? What if things turn out differently? And we've got to say Moses surely is treading a very dangerous path. He is saying to God, but what if I can't trust your promise? What if you're not able to keep your word and they don't believe me? That's his excuse. What if they won't listen? But then we've got the Lord's answer. On each occasion, of course, the Lord has the answer to whatever excuse and objection Moses raises. And the Lord, of course, is demonstrating amazing patience in the face of Moses' unbelief. I don't think we could really call it anything else. God promises and Moses said, maybe not. Surely that is unbelief. And yet the Lord condescends to give another response to Moses. He he could well have said to Moses, what did I just say to you? But instead, the Lord gently, patiently, graciously uh, speaks to Moses uh, and offers him signs that he will be able to show the Israelites. A patient God. And isn't it the same patience that God often shows to us when we are unwilling to take him at his word. When the Lord has made promises to us and yet we don't really take them seriously. And maybe we're like Moses sometimes and we're really saying to God, yes, I know you said that, but, but what if it isn't? Like that, or what if it doesn't work out the way you've promised? And maybe we can see something of ourselves in Moses, maybe more than we would like to admit sometimes. His word should be sufficient, shouldn't it? And yet we've got to admit at times it isn't. We want something more to confirm the word. That's often part of the drive in some Christian circles, the signs and wonders that the word isn't enough. They need something more. And yet the Lord is so gracious uh, with Moses. He's already promised a future sign. Chapter 3, verse 12, you'll worship on this mountain with Israel. But that's in the future. And so the Lord graciously gives Moses Signs for the here and now, not in the distant future, but right here as he stands in the Lord's presence. And those signs, when we look at them, are full of symbolism. They're not random 
signs that the Lord gives Moses that could have been anything. The Lord has chosen them very carefully. The symbolism matters. The very first thing is Moses' staff in verse 2. In Egypt, that was a symbol of power and authority, as it was in many cultures. Uh, Like a scepter, as we might think of it for modern royalty and rulers. And the Lord uh, is really going to demonstrate through this changing of uh, Moses' staff into a snake and then back again uh, into a staff. The Lord uh, is going to show his power and his authority. Remember we said there's a contest going to take place in Egypt. Is Pharaoh in charge? Is he really a god, as Egyptian religion said? Or is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the only true God? And through uh, the sign of the rod, in the hand of a shepherd, remember, shepherds despised by the Egyptians, God is going to demonstrate his authority. And the sign that will be performed with the staff, it became a snake, verse 3. It could become anything, of course. Why a snake? Well, if you've ever seen pictures of ancient Egyptian artifacts and treasures and so on, particularly the masks that often be put over the royal mummies, you'll see in the headdress of the pharaoh there would be a snake, a cobra. And it was a symbol of the deity of Pharaoh. The claims that he really was a god. A symbol of his divine power, supposedly. But it's the Lord who will change this piece of wood into a snake and change it back again. It's the Lord who exercises power in Egypt. Now, we'll read later on that in some way the Egyptian magicians were able uh, to reproduce the miracle, but when they did that, uh, the snake from Moses' staff ate up all the Egyptian snakes. So God still demonstrated that he was in charge. So that's the first miracle. What about the hand of Moses put into his cloak, brings it out? It said, leprous uh, like snow. Uh, some skin disease. In the Bible, uh, leprosy covers a wide range uh, of diseases, not only uh, what nowadays we would diagnose as leprosy, Hansen's disease. Uh, And the symptoms don't appear to fit modern leprosy. It's some skin issue, at least, as Moses brings his hand out white, and then it's healed. What's the point of that? Surely God's showing He is sovereign over the powers of nature. God can give disease. He can take disease. He is in sovereign control. Something we see, don't we, in the signs performed by the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Among his miracles, of course, Matthew 11, 5, for example, uh, leprosy is cured. And those were signs of the identity of the Lord Jesus. Signs of the power of God at work. And so it is here. It's not Moses' power that confers the disease or removes it. It's the power of the Lord. Again, 
demonstrating his control. And the third sign, not just one, not just two, but a third sign, the water from the Nile that becomes blood. And the Nile was sacred to the Egyptians. There were a number of gods among uh, the, the Egyptian hierarchy who had charge of the river Nile. It was the lifeblood of Egypt. Agriculture depended on the Nile flooding and depositing uh, silt on the banks to grow the crops. If that didn't happen, of course, it was disaster. So the Nile virtually was a, a god and supervised by the gods of Egypt. Symbol of life. And along comes Moses, takes water from the Nile, pours it on the ground, and it becomes a symbol of death. And there's nothing the Egyptians could do about that. It's a foretaste, of course, of the first plague, where the river will be turned to blood, not just a, a little that Moses would pour out. And God is making it clear over and over and over. He is sovereign. Not Pharaoh, not the gods of Egypt, their empty idols. We sang about that a short time ago. The Lord is God and the Lord reigns. Every sign Moses has given drives home the lesson. Signs for the Israelites, first of all, and they will give attention to the signs. Signs also for the Egyptians, signs of judgment. The living God has come, and the gods of Egypt are utterly powerless. And that will be the case with each of the plagues. We'll not look at every one of them, but each of the plagues was designed to expose the powerlessness of some of the gods of Egypt. They could do nothing in what was supposed to be their own territory to stop the God of Israel working out his plan. Moses' third excuse answered. God in the signs makes it clear he reigns. Then next, as we work through Exodus 4, we see Moses' fourth excuse answered. He doesn't stop. He's still going despite everything that God has said. There's a fourth excuse. And now Moses begins very respectfully. Uh, there's a word at the beginning of verse 10. The NIV doesn't translate it, but be something like please or excuse me. It's Moses is speaking in a humble way. He's acknowledging God's greatness, and yet, and yet, he's still making excuses. You ever encountered people like that? Very gracious, uh, very uh, eloquent, and seem very respectful. And actually, what they're saying is very far from respectful. You ever hear people who say, with the greatest respect, and you're pretty sure what's going to follow is anything but respectful. There's a touch of that in how Moses begins here in speaking to God. And what's his excuse? Verse 10, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. Sounds as Moses is saying to God, look, you know, this meeting with you at the burning bush actually hasn't changed anything. I still am not a good speaker, Lord. 
I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue, he says. So what's the problem? What is wrong? And it is very difficult, actually, to know. When you listen to Stephen in Acts 7, verse 22, he describes Moses as powerful in speech and action. Is it that Moses is trying to say, look, I can't think in my feet. I'm not a quick thinker to get the right words. Could it be that? Uh, Or I'm not suited to negotiations with the ruler of Egypt. It doesn't seem that there is uh, any suggestion of some kind of actual impediment in his speech. And it's just very difficult to know what it is he's offering as an excuse. Uh, The fact that God does offer help, particularly in providing Aaron, does seem to suggest there's some issue with Moses as a speaker, but it's hard to be clear. And as we'll see very soon, fundamentally Moses isn't inclined to obey the Lord. So what's God's answer in this case? Again, you know, the patience of the Lord as he answers another excuse and more obstacles that Moses tries to throw in the way. Such forbearance on the Lord's part. You could hardly believe it. And yet here it is. Instead of a blast of wrath that we might have expected by this stage in the discussion, the Lord gives Moses a reminder, a reminder of who he, the Lord, is and what he can do. Who gave man his mouth? An assurance again that the Lord is in control. He gives the gift of speech. He is able to help, to help Moses, to help whoever, to use those gifts. They're in the Lord's hands. Is it not I, the Lord? And of course we know the answer. Of course it's the Lord. He is the creator. He's the sustainer. He is sovereign. All the assurance Moses could need. No other power, no other deity has any influence on the outworking of the Lord's purpose. It's really the same point that is made by the miracles that Moses has just been given, the signs. The Lord is in sovereign control. And that's the lesson Moses has to take to heart. As it were, the Lord keeps driving at home He is sovereign. He is in control. And all Moses' excuses simply crumble to to dust in the face of that. In the coming contest with Pharaoh and with the gods of Egypt, there can be only one victor. And it will be the God of Israel. There is no doubt about the result. When the Lord faces off against the gods of Egypt, Pharaoh included. There is no contest. They have no power, and the Lord has overwhelming power. What is Moses troubled by? Why is he reluctant if this is the God he is serving and the God who is sending him? And the Lord's answer concludes in verse 12 with a direct 
clear command. Go now. Answered all the excuses. Go. Get on with it. And yet even now, when we might say that God could leave it at that point, go and get on with the work, even now the Lord provides further encouragement. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Grace and more grace, patience and more patience as the Lord deals with Moses. I can be inclined to think uh, if he'd been dealing uh, with us, if Moses had been dealing with us and with these excuses, what we'd have wanted to do is just take him and shake him and tell him to get on with the job that he's got. He has all he needs and he's serving a sovereign almighty God. And isn't the answer to many of our excuses regarding the Lord's work very similar? A fresh understanding of the sovereignty of God. So many of our objections and questions and uh, Lord, uh, what do you want me to do? Well, actually, I don't think I can do it. Find somebody else to do the work. And what we need is a fresh grasp, a fresh vision, as it were, of the sovereignty of God, the God who is so patient with us. Uh, Usually it's not that we need new information, that we need extra theology to deal with our objections and our hesitations. We don't need to be told something new about God. What we need is to take to heart the truth we already know. The God described in Ephesians 1.11 as him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And if that is the kind of God he is, then whatever we need will be supplied. When he gives us work to do, whether it's personally, individually, or as a congregation, if he gives us work to do, This sovereign God will supply what is needed. Oh, he may not supply resources for work he isn't giving us. But really, that doesn't matter. The work he does give us, he will enable us to do. He is sovereign. He's as sovereign today as he was on Mount Sinai, on Horeb, with Moses all those centuries ago. Moses' fourth excuse is answered again with an assurance. God's sovereign. He's giving you the work, Moses. Get on with it. And God will supply whatever is needed. Now go. And often the Lord would be saying that to us as well. Now go, get on with the work I'm giving you because I will supply whatever is needed. And the question to Moses, the question to us often is, do you believe that? We may, in theory, hold to such truths, but do we actually believe it in the realities of life and service in this world? So again, an excuse is answered. And Moses Attention once again 
it is turned to the sovereignty of God, this gracious, patient God. But finally, in the verses we are looking at, we have to see that Moses' final request denied. Moses' final request denied. At last, Moses gets to the real issue. Moses, we might say, comes clean. Literally, he says in verse 13, send by the hand of whom you will send. And you may think, okay, it sounds as if Moses is saying, all right, if it's me, I'll go. But that isn't what he's saying. The translations are right when they read something like the NIV has, please send someone else. Sometimes summed up, here am I, send Aaron. Send somebody else. And now all the the excuses have been dealt with, we've cleared the undergrowth, and now really we're looking at the heart of the matter. Please send someone else. He doesn't want to do it. Now, no doubt there are different factors in that, maybe a mixture of a lack of confidence in himself. Well, that's not a bad thing. But also a lack of trust in the Lord, that certainly is a bad thing. An awareness of the task, I'm sure it was. An awareness of how difficult the Israelites could be. And Moses is going to have 40 years of them. We could understand, we might say, why he would respond in that way. And yet think of the promises God has given him, the assurances, the signs, everything he needs to encourage him. And yet despite all of that, he doesn't want to do it. Send someone else. And now finally we read the Lord's anger burned. That's a very vivid expression uh, that you have uh, in, in the original language. The Lord's nostrils heated up. They began to burn. It's a very vivid uh, physical kind of description. Moses, we might say, has gone his length. No more excuses. No more discussion or debate. He's reached the limit of God's patience because God isn't some soft touch that we can keep arguing with and keep putting off and putting off and and God won't do anything about it. His patience is not unlimited if we produce excuses for not doing what he commands us. And Moses has reached the limit And yet even in that, even as the Lord's anger burns, look at what he does. He provides Aaron to go down to Egypt and be a spokesman for Moses. In the midst of the righteous anger of the Lord, still there's mercy, still there's grace. And it is amazing. We may not have expected it if we didn't read it here in the Scriptures. But of course, it is not a warrant in any sense for us to try God's patience by being reluctant to obey him. 
And we ought to be praying when we know our hearts and when we know sometimes we're slow to obey and we're reluctant to do what the Lord gives us to do, to pray with the prophet in Habakkuk 3 and verse 2, in wrath, remember mercy. And that's what the Lord does here with Moses. In wrath, he does remember mercy. And even as we often stretch the limits of his patience, we need to ask that the Lord in wrath will remember mercy, that there will be grace that will forgive us when we do offer one excuse too many, when we're too reluctant to respond and when we fix our eyes on our own inadequacy and fail to look at the Lord's sufficiency. We need the mercy. And this sovereign God, this holy God, this patient and forbearing God does deal with us, his children, so gently. He doesn't deal with us as we deserve. Isn't that true? And when we drag our feet and reluctant to do what the Lord gives us and fulfill his calling to us. He is gracious and he is forgiving. But as with Moses often, he'll simply say, now go. And that's how the interview with Moses ends. Pick up your staff, get going. There's work to be done and I'll be with you. And all you need will be Provided. And the Lord never fails his people when he gives us work to do. Our calling is to get on with it, trusting in his provision, his strength, his sovereignty. I'm not saying the tasks will be easy. Moses is going down to Egypt to do a tremendously difficult work. He'd be tried and tested, and there are years of hardship ahead of him. Not easy. And the work the Lord gives us often is not easy. But it's a sovereign God who gives the task and it's a sovereign God who enables us to fulfill the calling. Challenge for Moses, the challenge for us, do we trust the Lord? And we need to make sure we're giving the right answer, that we trust him. That we'll respond to his call to service, whatever form it takes. And we know he won't fail. And his work will be done to his glory.